fourth week of Advent about love and how we perceive love. And, and while I could be wrong about this, well, I'm not usually wrong. Just ask me, I'll tell you. Well, I could be wrong about this, though. I think that our culture, where we live at today, we're, we are in love with the idea of love. We're just fanatics about it. Um, the, the biggest blockbuster movies of the year this year uh, all have this, this theme of love running through them. Um, even, even the most action-packed movies, those movies that are guy movies, you know, that, that men don't feel bad about going to see by themselves. They're excited to go see them, you know. Even those have this idea of love that runs through them. Harry Potter and uh, the, I don't remember the name of the, the, the Harry Potter movie that came out this year. Uh, not the biggest action movie, maybe, but, but it is a record setter in the number of people that went to see it in the first 24 hours that it was out. Um, that movie is beginning to deal with the, the theme of love between some of the main characters, and boy, it, it, it really bothered some of the fans of that movie. And, and then other fans, other people became fans because they began to see this romance grow. Uh, another movie, another blockbuster movie, another, uh, another movie that I don't think that I would consider to be action-packed or, or uh, necessarily a, a, a guy movie, but, but a big blockbuster movie, New Moon, is based on the love that two characters have. Last night I sat and I looked at the top ten list of songs that are, that, that are popular in pop culture today. Depending on the source uh, that you look at, at least half, at least half of those songs dealt with a romantic attraction between two people. Because our culture is, is fanatics about this idea of love and loving one another. And, and probably... In most cases, in those songs, it wasn't a true idea of love. It was more to do with a physical attraction that we call love, uh, which is really would, would probably be better classified as lust. Uh, probably the most provocative was sung by, by Lady Gaga. And I don't know much about her, but as I listened to this song, I was, man, this is not love. <laughs> this is something totally different, but it's not love. But as we sit and think about that, as, as, as we come to this place and we stop and we're going to take some time to think about love today, I realize that because of where we're at in our, in our culture, in this time that we live, in the way that, our, the, the way that we're surrounded by media that, that presents this idea of love as being an emotional attraction and sometimes a physical attraction between people, that we have got to stop and take a look and listen closely when people talk about love because for us to understand what they're saying, we have to listen to the context. We have to, we have to really break down and hear what they're saying. And, and the reason is, is because of where we're at. Because we recognize, sitting in this place right now, it's easy for us to recognize that there's a greater love than something that can be shared between two people. We just sang of a greater love that, that, than, than what can be shared between two people. But we use the same word to describe the connection between a mother and a child as we do to describe the physical attraction that happens between two people and what they experience. We use that same word, love. And for us, we have to take time and we have to stop and we have to redefine for ourselves what love, what, what, what a true love is really about. But as we come to that today, I, that, that's what we'll work to do. We'll work to see love defined. We'll look to see love demonstrated. And we'll look to see love defended. 
and never really to be questioned again. But we do it at a time of year where, where, where love, at, at least in, in my estimation, where love truly begins to, to be shown. We, we, we are in the midst of the Christmas season, and, and this Friday is, is Christmas Day, and, and this is a time of season. I don't know what it is about this time of season, but, but this is a time of year where people will really begin to think in some ways, more about other people than themselves. And I, I, don't, I can't explain it. Maybe it's the idea of what goes on, you know. Maybe it's the celebration. Maybe it's the... But you see people who are they're, they're friendlier. They're more willing to give money. They're more willing to, to, to think beyond themselves. They're more willing to, to donate to charities. It's just the way that people react in this time of year. But where does that all start and where did it all begin? And, 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 and really, is that the end of it? You know, we started three weeks ago, four weeks ago, actually, into this season of Advent. And we began to look and understand that, that <clears throat> the hope that we can experience in this world and the things that we can experience in this world were really, they leave us wanting. They leave us in a place where, where, where we end up empty. And, and as we started into this, we began to see that Jesus, and only in Jesus, do we begin to see these things fulfilled in, a, in an eternal and a lasting way. Jesus truly is our only hope. That's where we started. We saw him as the good shepherd and, and looking after his flock and understanding the, the sheep and, and, and standing there and protecting them and providing and leading them and guiding. And he is the good shepherd, only allowing the sheep into the fold, only allowing his sheep and those that belong to him into this place where they're protected and provided for, where he can look over them and, and watch them. And we saw in that that He truly is our only hope. In that, in, in that work and in that, in that movement, he, he, he begins to demonstrate Himself as, as that thing that leads to life. He, he, he brings us to this place where, where we can confidently expect His promises to be fulfilled. He brings us to this place where we can confidently expect what He says is going to happen to happen. And He gives us this, this hope that doesn't leave us empty or wanting. But he gives us this hope that's a confident looking forward, a confident expectation. You see, all other things, they lead to death. But as we follow the Good Shepherd, as we see him lead us and we see him guide us, he leads to life. And then we see as, as that hope gives way to, to this life and, and as we begin to live in that hope, we begin to experience peace. And, 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 and we looked and we saw that in Jesus, He is our peace. You see, when He came and He brought this hope, He didn't simply just, just give us a circumstantial peace. Although as we live and we follow Him, our, our cares and our concerns can be laid on Him. They can be put before Him and we can trust Him to, to meet them. And, and we can see Him work and we can, we can experience a circumstantial peace and a contentment in our life. But He didn't just come to bring circumstantial peace. He came... It says in, in, the, in Ephesians, as we read, he, he came to bring peace between us and God first. To reconcile us to the Father. To bring us back into a relationship with the Father that, that we so desperately needed. You see, that's the peace that begins and, and brings peace to the rest of our lives. And, and in that, He didn't just simply connect us to the Father. 
But he tore down the walls of, 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 of hate and, 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 and bitterness towards one another and, the, and those walls that separate us and keep us from connecting to one another. And he brings us to this place in life where we can know peace with one another. And he brings us into this family where we have connection. Where we can live together at peace. Bringing peace vertically in our relationship with God and horizontally with others. And then we saw Jesus as our source of joy. Because Jesus didn't come so that we could walk around and be somber and wear black robes and be miserable and and make it look like Jesus makes you miserable. I don't want to be with Jesus. He wants us to be happy. He wants us to know His joy. He wants us to experience His joy. And we see that in His coming, that's our source of joy. We see that in in the work that He did and and the things that He called us to, that's our source of joy. Because He wants us to be happy. He wants us to know peace. He wants us to experience hope. Why did He do it? What did He do it for? Well, one, one of many reasons that could be given... He loves you. He loves you. And that's the love. You see, those guys, that these people, that they're living in this Christmas season and they are being generous and they are caring about others and they are doing all of these good things in this moment, in this season. When New Year's hits, it's about, it goes back to being the same. And that love fails and it quits and it's, it's waxing and waning. It's tied to emotions. It's tied to circumstances. It's tied to, t- tied to some season of the year. But you see, in Jesus, in His coming, in the things that He came to do, you know more than just a failing love that can be loved by men. You know God's unfailing, everlasting Eternal love. And that's what we're going to read about today. And that's what we're going to see defined. And that's what we're going to see defended. And that's what we're going to begin to see is always lasting. John chapter 15, verse 13. Now just to set the passage up before I read this, you need to know that that Jesus is with his disciples. It's nearly the time that he's going to be arrested. He's telling them about what's about to happen. And he's giving them instruction. And in last week we were in verse 11 and he talks to them about him wanting them to experience his joy. Not in some small way, but completely, fully. And he says this, right after he says that, in verse 12 he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The greatest thing, the the, the most noble thing that you and I could do for one another is lay our lives down for one another. And I don't know why this comes to mind, but I I just had this thought of the, the Secret Service, maybe because I used it as an example with the boys last week as we were talking about Christ's love. The, the, the secret service guy for, for the president, those, those guys that surround him, the most noble thing that they could do, and I don't know why they'd want this job, but the most noble thing they could do is take a bullet. They may not like the guy. They might not feel good about his, 
his policies and his presence, but because of who he is, the most noble thing they could do is take a bullet. Jesus affirms this. The greatest thing you have to offer, the greatest thing that you and I could do for one another is lay our lives down. And we got this way of romanticizing things, and we got this, this way about, about state and things that makes it sound really cool and, 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 you know, like something that's really worthwhile doing. I mean, we, we tell stories about it. Greek mythology, there was a guy named Damon and a guy named Pythias, and these two guys were great friends. They, in fact, they, they were willing to lay their lives down for one another. Pythias was, was found speaking bad of the king of Syracuse. His name was Dionysius. And Dionysius heard about what Pythias had to say. And he says, that dude's going to die. I want his head. Pythias is standing on trial and he says, I've got these things I've got to take care of. You've got to let me go so that I can handle these things. I'm going to go and take care of them and then I'll come back. Now, obviously, what's the king going to think? You've been condemned to die. You've been condemned to die. You're not going to come back. Damon steps up and says, you know what? Let him go do his thing. I'll stand in his place. I'll accept the punishment. I'll, I'll be this guy and I'll, I'll, I'll stay here in jail. And if he doesn't make it in time, kill me. So Dionysius says, all right, Pythias, go do your thing. Pythias leaves and he goes on this journey to take care of these things. And <clears throat> while he's gone, he experiences trouble and his path is just wrought with havoc. And, and all of these bad things happen and he barely makes it back in time. And he gets back in time just in the nick of time to see his friend just about to be killed. And he says, stop, I'm here. His friend's just about to die for him. And Damon, is, he, he's crushed. He's like, man, I wanted you to live. I wanted you to experience life. I wanted you to get away. And so they begin to discuss back and forth between one another. Well, I wanted you to live. No, I wanted you to live. No, I wanted you to live. Well, Dionysius sees this and he's moved and he's struck. And he's like, whoa, man, this is love. These guys care about one another. They love one another. You see, this idea of laying our lives down, it's a noble thing. We, we write stories about it. We tell people and we demonstrate to people how we've sacrificed and what we've done. Oh, look at me. Look at what I've done. Maybe it's not as noble as Damon and Pythias, but, but we, we, we flock to stories that, that, that raise people up who are, who are heroes, who do these valiant things to save other people, and we love it. But all of those stories, every one of those stories pales in comparison to the story of what Jesus Christ came to do. You see, when Jesus came, He came to a place that wasn't friendly. He came to a place that, that didn't want Him and didn't accept Him. And in fact, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-8, through 8, I'll just read it to you. We begin to see the sacrifice that Jesus made. Have this in mind among yourselves. Paul has been teaching these people. He's been showing them this, this, what, what Christ has done and how they should respond. And he's talking to them about loving one another. He tells them to keep these things in mind. These, these things that are theirs in Christ Jesus. And he says, who, through, who though he was in form God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient 
to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus, He didn't simply just stand up and say one day, well, I'm this dude, I'm this guy. He left the glory of heaven. He, 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 he is the fullness of God. He is without need. He, he, he is complete. He needs nothing but for the love of His people. He steps out of heaven into earth, taking on the form of a man. And that, in and of itself, imagine being God, being everything that you need to be, not being in need of anything, stepping out and taking some lower form. This is not some form that He just took on for a few days. This is not just something that He did. But when we're in heaven, when we are rejoicing in heaven and and, and all things have been made right, we are going to see Jesus in the flesh. He is always now a man. He is the God-man for all eternity. He's taken on this nature forever. Forever He's done this for us. He came and He steps in and He takes on this this body and and He submits Himself. He's a king. He has authority. He can say die and people die. He can say bow and people bow. He can say do and people do. But he has this authority and he says no. I'm coming as a servant. I I, I am submitting. I'm submitting even to death. Death on a cross. The most excruciating of all things to experience. The most... In fact, the word excruciating came from the word crucifixion. That's how bad it was. He was spit on and mocked and laughed at and beaten to the point that he was nearly dead, made to carry his cross and then then hung on it until he died. No greater love have you ever been loved with. No greater love Have you ever been loved with? No greater love have you ever heard of. You see, you could be sitting there and asking me now, you know, well, hey, you know, I I, I know what he did, and and I know that that Jesus died on a cross, but this is Christmas. Aren't we really supposed to be talking about his birth and the fact that he came? And and we're, we're, we're talking about Advent, the coming of Christ. Hey, I I know that the coming of Christ is extremely special. The night that that birth happened is a huge and momentous moment. But if you separate that birth from the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection, it's just another birth. You see, we don't just see His love demonstrated in the fact that He came, but in the purpose for which He came. When He shared these words with His disciples in John 15, He knew full well what He was going to. He knew full well that He was about to be arrested. He knew full well that He was about to give His life. And He was helping them to see and understand as they experienced this. As they saw it begin to unfold before their eyes, He was giving them a hint to know that I've done this because I love you. You're my people and I love you and I'm doing this because I love you. And and imagine what the disciples began to experience. I mean, 
Here's Jesus, and, and He's the guy that they've assumed is the Messiah, and they're following Him, and, and they're giving their life to Him. And, 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 and they begin to see things fall apart, and people aren't loving Him the way that they did, and they're not reacting to Him the way that they did. In fact, they're in a garden, and He's arrested. And after He's arrested, He's tried, and people are calling out, Crucify Him, crucify Him, crucify Him! And all of a sudden, the next thing you know, He's on a cross, and He's dying! Imagine what it was to stand there and look and see this guy that you just knew. I know he's the Messiah. I knew he was the one. What could have happened? What could have gone wrong? Wait a minute. He came back to life. And as they begin to see that and begin to comprehend and the Spirit gives them, gives them knowledge and opens their mind, they begin to understand he did this. He laid his life down. Because He loves us. No greater love. No greater love has ever been known. No greater love has ever been shown. In Romans 5.8 it says, But God shows His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Jesus didn't come into a world that had already been, that, that had already had everything done and all the work was finished. He came into a place that was hostile against Him and that was violent against Him. He came to this place that was full of sinners because of His love. First, or First John 3.16 says, This is how we know what love is. That Christ laid down His life for us. You see, the love of Jesus at, at, at Advent, the love of His coming, is truly made evident in the purpose for which He came. His love truly becomes evident, not simply in the birth, but in His life, His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And the knowledge that we can expectantly wait for Him to come again. You see, we, we, we remember that special day, that day of His birth. Not simply because on that day a king was born, but because on that day the King of Kings was born. We don't simply remember that, that day of His birth because, because some special baby was born in the manger. We, we remember that day of His birth because in the work that He did, in the things that He had to complete, in the, in, in the, in the efforts that He made, our joy becomes real. Our, our, our life is given purpose. Our, our connection to God is made again. We, we know peace. Our hope is made real. You see, on that night when the angels appeared in the, in, in the heavens and they began to sing to the shepherds, they weren't singing simply of some, some baby in a manger. They were singing of God in flesh come to earth to do a very special thing, not because He just wanted to, but because He loved you. He loved you. And in this life of Jesus, we experience a love that's not emotional. It doesn't wax and wane. It, it, it doesn't depend on how I feel that day. 
but it's built on and based on the unfailing and everlasting love of God. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay his life down for his friends. Greater love have you never known. Jesus loves you. As His child, as a, as a person who is redeemed and who has come to believe, Jesus loves you. <clears throat> when you don't feel it, Jesus loves you. When, when things aren't going your way, Jesus loves you. When circumstances are, are just seem to be falling apart around you, <clears throat> Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you when terrible things happen and it doesn't seem like you can bear another thing. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. I've recently been convicted of, of my level of gratitude. When I pray in my, in my private time, in my quiet time, and I, I, I pray driving down the road and I pray... When I'm at work and I find myself thanking God often for things. But I was convicted not long ago, actually at Thanksgiving. <laughs> Imagine that. I was convicted at Thanksgiving that some of how I am being thankful has become more about routine and just things that I say. Just phrases that come to mind. So, in response to that, in, in repentance to that, I've decided that I need to stop and, and, and truly just slow down and consider what I have to be thankful for. You may have seen some of those things posted on Facebook, but either way, in the midst of all this, <clears throat> I begin to see people speaking about how they experience God's goodness and how they know He loves them. And the first thing is, I well, maybe not the first thing, but one of the things I hear is a, a girl says, "Well, my car got fixed, so I know God's lo God loves me." And it wasn't what it wasn't what everybody thought, and it didn't turn out to be as bad as everybody said it was going to be, and it was just a really cheap fix, and so I know God loves me. <clears throat> and then somebody didn't lose a job, and I heard them speak about, "Well, God, oh, He's so good to me; He loves me so much. I didn't lose my job." And then another person just, just offering, you know, this, God is so good. He loves me. He takes care of me. Look at what he did. He, he gave me this token of appreciation through another person. And, and while I'm thankful and grateful that, they, that people want to give God glory for those things, if we stop and we think that in those moments is the only moments that God loves us, what does that say about the guy who was stranded on the side of the road because his car did break down? Or what about the dude who, who went to work, or even the girl who went to work? I decided to call you a girl, then it, something else. But anyway, the person who went to work and found out they didn't have a job and weren't going to be able to support their family. What about that person who works their tail off every day and no one ever stops and says thank you to you? What does that say about God's love? See, here's the truth. God loves you 
even in those times. And He's chosen to show His love for you, not necessarily in the small things that happen on a day-to-day basis, but He's shown you His love in what He did through Jesus, His Son. And you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves you, that Jesus loves you, not because you woke up and things went your way, but because you sit and read in Scripture that God stepped out of heaven put on flesh. He dwelt among us. He lived here. He died for us. He was buried and He rose again. God loves you. Jesus loves you. And you never have to doubt it again. Romans has a beautiful passage that speaks to this. And I wanted to share it in light of what we were thinking about today. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 8. I would love for you to read along. If you've not, you can just listen. But if you're ever doubting the love of the Father, the love of God, think of His Son. Think of Jesus. I'm going to start reading in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Never doubt the love of God again. It was made evident in His Son, Jesus Christ. And as you approach the Christmas season, as you spend some time in June and in, in, in July, as far from the Christmas season as possible, in spring, in summer, in fall, in winter, know that Jesus loves you. And it's made evident in what He did. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? There is nothing bad enough that can prove that Jesus doesn't love you. There is nothing bad enough that can take you from it. As His child, as, 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 as his part, a part of His family, a part of His body, you are connected and there is nothing that can separate you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written... For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life listen this is 180 degrees separate on the whole range of uh, on the whole scale Neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, 
nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. As you celebrate Christmas, let me challenge you to remember it's not the trees, it's not the presents, it's not the way we treat one another, it's not any of the trappings that prove God's love for us. But in this time of year, as we stop and we celebrate the coming of our Savior, it's all that He's done. His life, His death, His burial and resurrection that reminds us that Jesus loves us. Today, I just felt compelled that that in light of focusing on His love, we needed to take some time And think about it more deeply. It's on the cross that his blood was shed and his body was broken so that you and I could be reconciled to the Father. It was in the things that he did on the cross that day that paid our debt of sin and proved once and for all God's love for his people. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, you know full well and have have experienced His love. And I think there's no better way to celebrate it by the taking of communion. We're taught in Scripture that as as we come to the table and as we focus on what He's done and, and take of the elements that we're to do it with a right heart. So I'm going to challenge you now. If there's sin in your life that's unconfessed, if you're living in some unrepentant way, to confess it, to repent it, to, to repent of it, and then come to the table and celebrate celebrate what your Savior did for you that day. You don't have to be a member of our church. You don't have, you know as long as you're a believer and a professing believer in Jesus Christ, we we welcome you to come. It doesn't have to be a time of solemn uh, uh, seriousness. I don't think it's something we should take lightly. It's a celebration. Because it was in that death and what he did that paid our sins, but it was in the resurrection that resulted from that death that we have the hope of eternal life. So I challenge you today, repent of your sins, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, recognize the price that he paid for you, and come and celebrate the life that he's given to you. Let's pray.